I'm your host, Brandon Kyle Goodman, and welcome to Black Folks. On this show, I have the honor of talking to Black people of various identities about our lives and how being Black has shaped our experiences. This week, I am speaking with Justin Sylvester. He's a producer and host of Daily Pop on E. Also, honey, if you like your tea piping hot, you should check out Justin's podcast, Just a Sip, where he has candid conversations with some of your favorite celebrities. Even I was a guest. But today, today Justin is on our show, okay? And we talked about favorite black talk show hosts, the best advice we got from our mothers and mother figures, and what it means to pretend for survival when you know you're not accepted. Ooh, also, heads up, Justin's washing machine was running while we taped, and honey, it made its presence known, okay? She said, I will not be ignored. No, you will not ignore me. <laughs> so you will hear it uh, early on in the interview. It's COVID. It's, it's quarantine, honey. It's a pandemic. We all at home. You know how it is. But the interview is still fabulous, okay? All right, without any further ado, here is my interview with Justin Sylvester. Justin, how sip, are you? Sip, look at that sip. How, oh my god, yeah, I'm trying to wake this ass up. You know, when I'm cranky, when I've like just woken up from a nap or from, from a slumber, slumber, I don't know what will come out of my mouth. I, I well, I'm excited that we got you because I, I like when all the things come out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I just want us to have a, a safe space. But before we jump into it, I'm gonna have you introduce yourself, however you, whatever you want us to know about you, and you can start with your pronouns. Um, my pronouns are he, me, and me. Yes, honey. Um, because my favorite word is me. Oh. Um, self-love. Self-care. Self-love. Self-love. <laughs> and I'm just TV host that's looking to expand his world. You know, I work at E. Um, I thought I peaked when I was 14, but obviously <laughs> I'm getting a second go around at it. <laughs> Why did you think you peaked at 14? Because I was a shit at 14, okay? I ran shit at 14. I just, I thought between 14 and 18, I was killing it. Like, what do you mean? You had a hustle? Like, what was going on? Can you tell I had a good hustle, yeah. I sold tampons at school when I was, like, in ninth grade. And then I got a job at this bomb-ass sushi restaurant, which is unheard of in Louisiana at the time. Um, and I slang sushi and I was like the only black person working and eating at the sushi restaurant. So I was killing it. You were winning. Ooh, I was winning, honey. And then where did the shift happen? I mean, where did the, when did the second, when did, when did the second go start? Well, I moved to LA and that shit took a real screeching halt, um, <laughs> from Wa. <laughs> LA will put you in your place real quick. LA will remind you who the fuck you are not. Actually, freshman year of college, fucking that freshman 25 really put me down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got real caught up in that McDonald's slash Raising Cane scenario. (laughs) Wow. And then LA just really was like, uh, skirt, skirt. You are one of five million people trying to escape to this town. And also one of five million who thought they were special enough to come to LA. So... Uh, it's, it's crazy. That's real. How long did it take you to pop off, though? Because now look at you. I mean, the skin. How? What? You are brushing your skin. What it's is that? A dry brush. Um, it's my favorite thing in the world. From Goop, it's amazing. How um, dare you subtly drop Goop? Hi, Goop. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> you know I love a white woman. You know I love a white woman until she fucks up my until she fucks up my movement. But I love a white woman. Yes. And the white ladies have been dry brushing for a long time, and I love it. It's and what awesome. is it for? What does it do? I feel like um this is a life hack I need to learn about. It's just calming. It's like super calming, and I am, am on my phone all the time. Uh huh. Like, if I have a free hand, I'm on my phone. And I don't know why. I think I'm looking for stories for Daily Pop or Just a Sip. And if I'm dry brushing, that means I have one hand with the brush in it. And I have the other arm out so I can dry brush. That is your life hack. I love that. You got it, Law and Order SVU. 
honey, I had to stop the SVU because she was fucking with my mental space. It was just, uh, it was a lot. And Mariska, I'm, I'm always, I'm now more concerned about Mariska. I'm like, how long are you gonna do this show? Like, what is that? She, twenty years? How long has she been on that show? She gonna do that show until her Forever. they have to wheel that bitch in there. Okay, her and Ellen. She gonna be Ellen Pompeo. She gonna be on life support. Okay? Absolutely, still solving these crimes. Okay. Still solving these crimes. But by the way, a bag doesn't come that easy in Hollywood like it used to, especially for TV actresses. Because now these movie stars are flooding the fucking Absolutely. market. Absolutely. Nicole Kidman is taking all of your bags, honey. <laughs> Nicole Kidman has three TV shows right now. Taking all the bags. Nicole Reese Witherspoon, all three of them, TV three of shows. Oh, they are truly all of them taking all of it. And those bitches would not touch TV back in early 2000s. Oh, it was, it was you couldn't you couldn't touch TV back then. It Girl, was like, you couldn't even date somebody on TV. How dare you date someone? The only time we would mess around was the, what the Golden Globes or something like that, and there was always still like uh, the TV people in the back. And now, yes, 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 honey. And now it is. Everybody wants it to be on everything. TV. It is 100%. And nobody wants to go to movies anymore. I actually don't know how you guys do movies. I I don't either. I mean, I said, I mean, I don't. Okay. Between us girls and, and the, yeah. everyone who watches this. I'm a, I'm a TV stan. I've always been a TV stan. TV over movies. I got like three movies I fucks with. Sister Act 2, Soul Food, and Waiting to Exhale. Those are the movies I fucks with. Other than yes. that, I'm just a TV bitch, and I and I'm happy that the coins have risen in the TV world. But I do need Nicole Kidman to step down so I could just you know swing my shot. One hundred percent. But as an actor, uh huh, would you do a movie? Of course, all day, <laughs> every day. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm a TV girl. I'm like, oh, but when it comes to checks, oh, when it comes you- to checks, absolutely. Because that because that okay. commitment is short. I mean, they, my mother always say, make the most amount of money doing the least work possible. That's the gig, you know. And movies, it's always like three months, four months. TV, that's a seven year contract they got you. With. I know, but you know what? There's something I don't know. I'm very ADD. Uh huh. And to think that I've been at the same job for three plus years is kind of crazy. Wild, yes. It's wild because I kind of sort of flourish when I'm in a fresh and sure. alternate universe, like every two or three years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I start itching. Yeah. Um, so I'm just shocked that I made it this far. <laughs> I'm real shocked. How does it feel to be perched? To just be like perched and sitting pretty and like... The checks are consistent. The life is sustainable. How does that feel? Scary. Uh Uh-huh. I think I grew up in turmoil and not, like, there was always something changing. There was always something due. There was always a bill. There was always this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was always something. And, you know, it's so interesting, like, when your life gets less chaotic, you start getting more chaotic. You start trying to create the chaos. Oops. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, but it's interesting. And I'm not, I switched schools because I couldn't get up that early. Like, I'm just not an early <laughs> morning person. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I've never been that bitch. Yeah, yeah. And when I first got my gig, you know, it was a cute, it started at a cute one o'clock, like 11 o'clock. Like, it was bomb. That's real cute. And then when we got greenlit, shit changed. We had to be there at 545 in the morning. Oof. I wake up at 5.30, but I'm not functional at 5.30. There's a, there is a difference to like be at work at 5.45 and having to, to uh, commune with people. That sounds... It's, it's rough. What time do you go to bed? Bad. That's my other problem. I do my best work on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Like I'm in these streets on Wednesdays and Thursday nights. That was always the night to go out in L.A. You know, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, of course. Fuck your Saturday on Wednesday. Come on, a food bar on Thursday. Big dick. Sorry, (laughs) BDT on Thursdays. Yes, I understand. Wait, let me get in. Let me ask you uh, the 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 little black folks question of the day, which the little black folks question of the day is: Who is your favorite? And there aren't many to pick from, but who is your favorite black uh, talk show host? Oh, hold on. Uh-oh. I'm ready. There are props. Can you hear my washer in the backdrop? 
now that I now I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost finished. I swear. Hold on. You're fine. You're fine. Does this work better? This is great. Judith, Judith had to tell me. Judith. Uh, it won't. It's fine. It's gonna. It's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna cut off in two seconds. It's the quarantine. Um, it's the quarantine. We, we, dead or alive? Ooh. Like, is the show still on? Oh, or the fair. show can be. No, the, the show can be gone. The show can be gone. Oh, Arsenio Hall. Ooh. Yes. I grew up watching Arsenio Hall, and I honestly, in my life and on everything, I always wanted to be Arsenio Hall. I wanted Why? to be Tell a me. mixture between Arsenio Hall and Jenny Jones. <sighs> oh my God, Jenny Jones is so important. I just can't even understand how I Jenny can't Jones. Even- Jenny Jones was here for the culture. Absolutely. Jenny Jones was not exploiting the culture. She was an equal opportunity exploiter. Yeah, I, I, I would have to rewatch to be able to co-sign because <laughs> I do feel like she had some moments. But yes, I'm with you. She was the show. Like, that was it. What time did she come on? Like 12 o'clock? Because I had to be sick from school to watch Jenny. Oh, no. I would go watch it in the... All the janitors had like a little... How dare um, you? had a little TV in their rooms. Absolutely. So I would go watch Y&R and Jenny Jones back to back. How dare you? Young and the Restless. Look at you. Living your Love best. Love me some Young and the Restless. <laughs> Love me some Young and the Restless. <laughs> but I loved Arsenio Hall because Arsenio Hall was a party. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Like Arsenio Hall was an experience. It's like if you went to the Arsenio Hall show, yes. it was like going to see, you know, Oprah with yes. Studio 54 and you were turning up and yes. it was a kiki and a barbecue all in one. Absolutely. The same energy. For me, energy. it was Montel. Uh, I, and I always had to fight between Montel and Oprah. Now, obviously, Oprah's my favorite, like, but, but I'm just going to put her to the side for a second. But I would always fight between Montel, like the four o'clock, you know, it was Sally, Jesse, Raphael mm-hmm. at three and then Montel and Oprah at four. Oprah uh-huh. won most times, but there were a couple times, like if Oprah was doing something I, like I didn't care about, which was very rarely, I would check out Montel, and I loved his energy. Tell me, but only if Montel had what's her name, Susie Brown, or the 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 psychic, the psychic, the psychic. <laughs> yes, yes, the psychic, Sylvia, <laughs> Sylvia. Yes, thank you, Judith. Sylvia, and Sylvia was on. I don't care if I had an appendectomy at four o'clock. We watching <laughs> motherfucking Sylvia. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Sylvia. And she had those Cardi B nails. Honey. She was cookity clack. Yes. She would sit there and she would read you for filth, honey. Oh, I for love Sylvia. Filth. Oh. For I, filth. For filth. I yes. When the psychic was on, that was my jam. Do you remember that Tempest Bloodsoe's talk show? Short lived. No. I'm 32. How dare you? Don't say no like that. I'm 33. I'm 32. I'm 32. We the same age. Tempest had a talk show. I think it lasted a season. And it was like a a one season. And it was, uh, uh, I think it was after or before Jenny Jones. It was just weird to see, uh, what was her character's name? Vanessa. It was just weird to see a Cosby kid, like, trying to be in the mix of the, like, yeah. Did you ever watch, uh, did you ever fuck with Tyra Banks? Of course. Like, what do we, yes. Wasn't she at five? Did, or was she at I four? I fucked with Tyra. I fucked with Tyra until she let Naomi come on her, on her stage and own some shit. Oh, I don't, you know what? I never watched that episode because I think she was at four. And again, she competed with Oprah. So I did have to like watch like the syndication. And I missed that episode. Although I remember talking about it. I just remember the like, Kiss my fat ass, which was mm-hmm. just TV gold. Tyra Banks' talk show was everything you think it's going to be. She yes. barely talked about the fucking guests. Yeah. It was all about her. Oh, which was I was here for. I was that's, here. The show is called her. Like, that's what I, I want. <laughs> Give the people what we want. 100% until and those, she let Naomi go on that show <laughs> and body her. Okay. <laughs> Protect our legends, okay? <laughs> Protect our legends. And 
Meanwhile, everybody's giving Tyra a hard time about what's going on on Dancing with the Stars, but let her get her feet wet. Let her, like, get the groove. Let her figure it out. Girl, she's hosted a lot. Is she not, is she not coming correct? She's hosted a lot. She's never hosted a lot live. Did, wasn't America's Got Talent live? That shit was on a four-hour delay. How dare you? You right. Amen. Now, what's wait? What what are they saying about Tyra that she she's not? Well, Tyra's just making some gaffes that you would normally make on a TV show, but then you would go back and redo sure. them. Got it. Got but it. Got it. Tyra hadn't figured that part out yet, but but also Tom Bergeron was there for so long yeah. that Tom Bergeron had become part of the show and the show had become part of him. It's almost like Ryan Seacrest on American Idol. Yes. If anybody would replace him, stumble. everyone would say, oh my God, it's not like Ryan. Well, I of bet you would slay like it though, Justin. I bet you Ooh. would slay it. Oh, it would be a whole nother situation. <laughs> You'd be reading those children. <laughs> I'd be fighting with the judges being like, bitch, how did you say that to her? Your Absolutely. first album was shit. <laughs> You've had some bad nights too, honey. That, yes, Don't that. make me remind you what happened on the Billboard Music Awards in 1996. Okay? Justin would pull up receipts because you'd be cool with the producers. So you pull up them receipts and oh, let those judges 1, have it. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask you the big black folks question. You ready for that? Yes. Okay. As you brush, I am living for these. Okay, so my question for you is, what is the best advice or most important advice uh, you received from uh, your mother or a mother figure? You can think about Ooh. it. Ooh. You know, it wasn't really advice. Mm. It was more like this perpetual state of, so what you gonna do? Mm. Like my mother made me figure shit out earlier than I was supposed to figure shit out. Ooh. Like, it was kind of a, it was a blessing in disguise. Really was. Mm -hmm. Like, at 14, she dropped a bomb on me, and she was like, you know, I got laid off. My life's about to change. That means your life's about to change, and I can't afford to do X, Y, and Z for you anymore. Yeah. And I was going to Catholic school at the time, like 20 minutes away, and she was basically telling me, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't, you know, personally, I can't pay for this whole thing. And you're going to have to go to Dangerous Minds Junior High right <laughs> around the corner. <laughs> not Dangerous Minds Junior High. How dare you? One, 100%. Like, Michelle Pfeiffer worked there. It was like a whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, the fuck you ain't? And she never gave me, like, she didn't really say, like, you can get a job or, like, this is how you have to maneuver it. Like, she mm-hmm. didn't really give me the tools. She was like, you have six months. Like, this is what's happening. This is what's See? happening. Yeah, this is it. And she let me figure out how to get a fake ID, to get a work permit, to say I was 16, find a job which there was not many jobs that were lucrative in my city. There was two restaurants that were open. One was world famous. um, And the other one was just like a hole in the wall. And I figured it out. Where are you from? Louisiana? I'm from Louisiana. And were you an only child? No. So my sister was five years older than me. And she was in college already. But she got got to college because she played basketball and she was really good and got a scholarship and it was this whole thing. Um, And my sister was kind of the belle of the ball. And then my mom had a baby when I was 17. Got it. So it was like, kind of like you're, it's do or die. Yeah. And it wasn't like, okay, if you can figure this out, I'm going to do this and that. It was like, no, no, you're going to figure out this whole experience. How are you going to get there? How are you going to do it? How are you going to pay for it? It was very... Um, it was hard at the time, I think, because at that moment you kind of go into the sink or swim mode. Sure. And you kind of sort of just 
put yourself in overdrive. And I was going to Catholic school from 7.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon, taking the bus home 20 minutes, going to work at a restaurant busing tables from 4 o'clock till 10.30, Monday, Ooh. Tuesday through Sunday. Oh, my God. Yeah. So my only day off was Monday. And but you were at school. I was at school. So I got one afternoon off. I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, sometimes doubles on Saturdays and Sunday. So it was like intense for two years. I mean, it explains to me your hustle and your ability to um, create the career that you've carved out for yourself and be so successful because, the, I mean, that was probably the training grounds. It's like, I'm going to make this shit no. happen. The training grounds were, was actually, I met this woman named Liz Dejon. Uh-huh. I was working at, at Cafe Des Amis was the name of the restaurant. It's now since closed, so they can't get arrested for hiring underage workers <laughs> who lied about their fake IDs. Um, <laughs> I met this woman. She was like the Preston Bailey of Louisiana, Dallas. Like she was, she put on all of the Mardi Gras balls. If you got married in society in Louisiana, she was she the woman it. you called because she just was the lick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was everything. And we met through mutual friends. Um, and we also met at this restaurant and she would hire me as her assistant and she basically showed me how to present, how to like, she basically taught me how to be a gay man. <laughs> honestly, honestly, like, yes. you know, you know, you know, as a gay man, like you don't have the full package. You're either a home and garden gay, you're a hair gay, you're a you? makeup gay. You know, you already you? know we are how blessed. No, we are blessed. We are God's chosen children. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And God has given us skills that most people don't have. But you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like, as you can see, I'm a home gay, you know? <laughs> yes. But Liz taught me how to be, you know. The hostess, Liz taught me how to sell people on things. Liz taught me how to make people's dreams and inspirations come true. Liz yeah. taught me how to execute. So when I came to Los Angeles, I was ready. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to Liz. But you also, so I, but I feel like from what you're saying, it's like you had Liz who like showed you how to you know, present and, and get up in there. But then like your mother's kind of like, what are you going to do? It's like, you create a way out of no way. Oh, Which, 100%. As a black queer person is like literally what you have to do, right? You have to create this like space for yourself. 1000%. And I feel really bad because I think my dreams were too big for anybody in my city to understand. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. just, I think my dreams were way too big. So my journey was meeting these people through this these jobs, these odd jobs that I had. Like, you know, working at a sushi restaurant, also working weddings. I met Allie Landry through Liz because one of Liz's brides Allie Landry was a was a bridesmaid in her wedding. That's how we initially had connected. Well, Got that's it. how we connected the second time. The first time she had a bridal shower at the small restaurant that I was working at. Mm -hmm. So we had met each other twice and she was like, oh my God, I met you at Cafe des Amis. Right, you know, right. you were working my bridal shower. I was like, yeah, girl, that's me. And, you know, four years later, as legend has it, she would call me and say, by the way, if you're still looking to move to Los Angeles, do you remember I told you you should move four, three, three or four years ago? And I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah. She goes, well, I know somebody who's looking for an assistant. Can you get here? And I'm like, when? And she was like, in a week. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Why not? And that's how I moved to Los Angeles. Whoa. That's amazing. Had my mother not made me get that job, had I not gotten my fake ID, had I not worked at that cafe, had I not gone to that school, had I not met Liz, Liz Dejon, had I not run into Allie Landry at one of those weddings, I wouldn't know Kyle Richards today. Yeah. But also that hunger. Where did that hunger? I mean, like, 
Like for okay, so like you're saying to me that you had one afternoon off. You basically worked every single day for two years. That could break a person, right? No, no, like no, that. not for two years. Not for two oh, years. How long was that for? From fourteen until I, I would, I would say fifteen. From fifteen until I graduated college at twenty-two. That's a longer time. <laughs> That's an insane amount of, girl. I went to college. So when I went to college, I went to school and then I drove 45 minutes each way to get to work. And I worked my ass off, came home, studied and did that repeatedly. But when you're in it, I swear to you, you don't even realize you're in it. It's when you like breathe the first time. Like sure. when I was when I graduated college and for a week I didn't have to go to back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. It was like, "Oh my god, where's the chaos?" Like what did yes. I just do? Yes. Where does that, where do you think that hunger and that drive come from? Because I feel like that, that level of uh, quote unquote chaos and work could break somebody, could like be like, this is overwhelming, but it, it, you, it, you, it fueled you. It feels like 100%. It like. I'm going to say something that's going to sound really, really fucked up. Okay. But I'm going to explain myself after because I don't want people to be upset with me. Yeah. yeah. We're going to hold space. My mom worked two, sometimes three jobs because she didn't want to be on welfare. Mm. And not that there's anything wrong with getting food stamps or being on welfare, but my mom never wanted to rely sure. on that. She never wanted us to see that that was an option. Yeah. Um, she never wanted to take advantage of the system when she was able and able-bodied to walk around and find work. Mm -hmm. And she was a single mother. Like, my mother could have wrecked the bitch. I could have had Pop-Tarts and Tostino's pizza <laughs> rolls and Capri Suns. How dare like you? everybody else. My mother, for what it was worth, never her... her and I wouldn't say her pride. She just never wanted to show us that that was an option. Got it. Because being on welfare and getting food stamps where I'm from in the ghetto was looked down upon. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was so weird. It was weird. Sure. Yes. I, that, I, mean, it, it sound, I mean, it sounds like there is, and not in a bad way, but there is like some, some pride inside of that and like wanting to, but also regardless of pride, just like, it sounds like she wanted to raise you guys in a certain way. And for you, as you said, to see certain things and also wanted to, I mean, I think about this for myself. I moved to LA because I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it, that I could make oh, a yeah. living for myself. Um, so I could have had help in certain areas, but I was like, I don't want that because I want to, um, I want to make it on my own. Like that's 100. important to me. Like this is mine and, and that's important. Um, so I would imagine that there was some of that, it sounds like. One thousand. No, no, you, she literally was... And I also think there's like an inner race racism, not an inner race racism. There's a hierarchy in the hood. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, look, y'all, we all broke anyway. Like, mm. so what if we're all getting the same government assistance? But that's not how they looked at it. Like, yeah, they just never want it. And I think sometimes when you get a taste of it, it's like people who have sugar daddies. It's like they get a taste of having a sugar daddy and they never want to go back to not having a sugar daddy. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do not. I've never had a sugar daddy. But if I wanted a sugar daddy, I could have one because I am what? Sickening. Sorry. Shangela, no, I'm telling you, you, you can have it. You are sickening, <laughs> bitch. You can have a sugar daddy. I'm not comfortable with people paying for things for me. Men. Mm. Yes. I'll take a trip on a white lady all day. <laughs> I will all be day. an honorary white lady all day. Oh, all day. call me on a Sunday to you leave from Van Nuys on Monday. Absolutely. I'm here all day. All day. All day. Every day. For some reason, taking it from a man. And I think, again, it goes back to my mother who never took a handout from a man, whether it was Uncle Sam or Mr. Joe or like her ex boyfriends yeah. or whatever it might be. Like, she just, it's really odd. It's really funny. 
Yeah, no, I I have the same thing. My mother, single mom, uh, did everything on her own with support from my grandmother, who was also a single mother. So my relationship to men uh, is definitely colored by my mother and my grandmother in that, like, I never wanted to rely on a man for anything. I never wanted to depend. Like, I, I it was always like, I got to do it myself. But if a white lady wants to, you know, take me to Paris, I, I, I'll be Emily in Paris in a heartbeat, honey. Well, like, BKG in Paris all day. And there's, I mean, you know, there's nothing, obviously there's nothing wrong with handouts or, or, or honey, working the system because the system is oppressive and fucking work it. Um, but I do understand being raised in these households and having uh, uh, the example being set and, and that how that kind of permeates inside of you and, and continuing on uh, in those footsteps. I do get that. I will tell you the the best advice that I got from um it's from a mother figure. My mother's given me some good advice, but my oh, my mentor, her name is Ellen Barber. Um and she's a Jewish woman. So my so Ellen, uh, my mother and I had um a falling out. My grandmother had just passed and Ellen basically said to me, if you were your own parent, what advice would you give yourself? And she oh, was, wow. which is a beautiful thing because it mm-hmm. was the first time of like understanding, and I've talked about this before, but understanding that like your parents, as much as they love you and as much as they want to give to you, they're also humans. Like I can't like, at, I am fucked up at 33 and I have a lot of friends who have babies. And I'm just saying, if I had a baby, like, you know, there'd be a learning, there would be some, <laughs> there'd be some, some shit that that child is going to inherit. I'm putting it in therapy immediately. 100%. Immediately you're going to therapy. Cause I'm working through my shit. I'm evolving and you're capturing yeah. that. But as a kid, your parent is, is perfect, right? Not everybody, but I think the the branding around parenthood for kids is that your parent is perfect. They know everything. They're all knowing. Everything they do is correct. And then you get to an age where you're like, no, like, I love my mother, but my mother's also a person who has her own traumas and her own um, her own things. And our, 100%. Our, our parents have their own bullshit and baggage. And sometimes we um, are on the receiving end of that. Uh, 100. And, and so I do think, uh, and it's a varying degree for everybody, but in your adulthood, there's a reparenting that you now become responsible for, right? Like you can yeah. either continue in the cycle of what your family has done, or you can expand past it. In some cases, you might have to break the cycle and ask yourself, right, if I were my own parent, what would I tell myself in this moment, in this, in this, whatever yeah. this difficult, devastating moment is? And so it's something that I continue to, to ask myself as I, as I come up against stuff, even just like, you know, today I like, I had, uh, I had a recording and then I had an interview and then I, we, we were about to chat and I had to tell myself to eat <laughs> like, like the simplest thing, the simplest thing, the simplest like, thing, honey, you got 15 you know minutes. Go ahead. You know what's so interesting about reparenting and parenting in general? It's like your parents, especially black parents mm-hmm. in the South. I don't know about New York, but black parents in the South sweep a lot of things under the rug. Sure. Yes. And also what black parents do, and I'm going to have to break this cycle with my children is, okay, you, you did something wrong. Um, you're wrong, but we don't explore why someone yes. did the wrong thing. Yes. And it's this this thing where as an adult, talking to my, you know, you get to a certain age in a black family, and if you move away and come back, especially, yeah, there's always one or two aunts that want to tell you the tea and will <laughs> give you like, ooh, well, when your mama was your age, <laughs> yes. this, this, and this, or yes. like, ooh, yeah. Or like, even my mother will like tell stories about the way she grew up now that we're adults. And it's like, by the way, if you just would have said that at 14 years old and used the example that you had been through something close to what I had been through, I would understand. Because when I was saying, you just don't understand, you should have said as a, and I don't know if this is, if I'm going to do this, but 
it would have been nice to know that you kind of sort of went through something similar or yes. you didn't have the perfect upbringing. But I just think as black people, we really n- need not be afraid of therapy, of hard conversations, oh of saying things we like, more. by the way, I don't understand, but I'm willing to talk to you and not get defensive as we want to do when we're talking to our kids. And that part really, you know, fucked me over as a child and also as an adult. Yeah. But talking to my mother now, she wasn't taught about simple things in life. Like they didn't talk about feelings or experiences ever. It was we're crazy for doing that. Yes. Yeah. 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 So when I, like, I remember the first time I told my mom I went to therapy, she was like, <gasps> you went to where? I know. My mother was so disappointed when she found out I was in therapy. <laughs> she what? was so mad about it. It's crazy. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just, you know, talked to this person. like, And it was very brief. And it wasn't like I was doing some intense seven days a week, four hours a day with Dr. Pat. Like, And, and honestly, honey, why not? You should. Why not? We should all. <laughs> 100. I think it should come. Insurance companies are missing out a on. A thousand percent. It should be uh, ingrained in society that everyone's in therapy seven days a week for at least 100 percent. Yeah. So I think as a black parent, I hopefully will be a parent. Mm-hmm. I want to remember the things that my parents didn't want to do or found uncomfortable. Sure. And be able to do those things with my kids. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, which I think is, which I think is prob- probably just inherent in parenting in general, but the lack of communication. I will say that my my mother is Trinidadian, so in the Caribbean culture, which sim- not the same as like we don't talk about anything, but the parent is always right. And so yes. there is no space to explore. Okay, well, why did you do that thing? There, there is no conversation of, well, tell me. So, okay, you just got in trouble. We can't do that, but let's also have a conversation about what you're experiencing or what you're feeling. That's never the thing. It's just like, I'm the parent. I said, you can't do that. And that's it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and so like, as a kid, you're, you're obviously frustrated because you're experiencing things that you don't have the words for. But as I'm saying that, parents don't have the words for it either, right? Like our parents didn't grow up in a culture where mental health was valued, right? Where where communication was valued. So uh, the best that they, I mean, my, my mother's best advice was everyone is doing the best they can to like always remember that like no one is trying to like fuck you over. I yes. Mean, like, you know, and we can get into the nuances of that, but like people that are in your life, everyone is doing the best they can with the information that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with where they are in their life and, and, and you just have to kind of keep that going. Go so I will it. say that parents, our generation of parents did the best that they could, uh, without, because the, the mental health and the communication wasn't of value. So the best that they could do was say, you can't do that. Cause I said so. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> 100. No, I'm just, it's yeah, it's crazy. It was like, I don't know. It's all very weird when you unpack things from your childhood and it never really like for me, it's coming up again because I have a sister who's 17. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to get away with shit that I did when I was 14. Yeah. Because by 17, I was kind of sort of out of the house. Um, So it's interesting to see my mom's reactions now as a 53 or four year old you know, parent, mm-hmm. as opposed to when she was 40, 35, you know, 36 with me. Right. Right. So it's like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, are you going to be as hard as you were on me? Or are you not trying to fight? Or like, like what? Let me see what you're going to do. Let yes. me see what you're going to do. Yes. And what has she done? Is she? She's so soft. She's so <laughs> soft. <laughs> She's like, I don't have the same energy. I can't fight. I can't fight. She, I was like, you were on 10 when we were younger. Okay, on 10. She was like, I had and the energy then. I, I, now she I had don't. the energy. <laughs> and by the way, not even like terrible for me. Like, I was a, my mom and I are both Scorpios. Mm, okay. 
Ooh, we. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going I'm to leave it at that. Okay. Mom and I are both Scorpios. Uh-huh. I was also like the middle bull. I was a middle child, and you kind of forget about the middle child yes. a little bit. The middle child, um, and he's queer. Yes, okay. And I was a boy, and I yeah. was queer. Yes. Like, I think I got floated out like gravity, like <laughs> like like George Clooney and gravity. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay. just like uh, we gonna, yeah. He just gonna fly away. Okay. He just gonna fly away. <laughs> you gonna what, fly away. What's the weirdest thing in like looking back at your childhood? What is like the or one of the weirdest things that you've been like, oh, that look at that moment. Oh, now I know this it means this instead of what I thought it was. Does that question make any sense? The weirdest thing is how homophobic and how uh, scared of my own self I was. Ah, uh, and homophobic for survival. Yeah. Um, because Will you expand upon that for people who don't. Yeah, yeah. it's this. Um, it's when you're in grade. The easiest way to put it is when you're in grade school, and you know people use f word. Oh he's a faggot referring to somebody else and you jump on the bandwagon. So people don't find out that you're really Mm -hmm. the gay person in the room Mm -hmm. and the overcompensating and all of these things. And, you know, not necessarily engaging in the homophobic rhetoric, but agreeing with it and laughing at it and deflecting it. And to look back, you know, being black and gay in a black neighborhood is probably the hardest season of Survivor you've ever. Huh. Amen. I would rather, by the way, lock my ass in the Big Brother house for five seasons straight, bitch. I would win it <laughs> five times over. Absolutely, you would. Because the amount of you. negotiation and manipulation you had to do to not Absolutely. get your ass whooped in the hood Absolutely. was legendary. Yeah, iconic. It's iconic. And then. Going to a, going from an all black school to an all white school, where now you're black and you're gay. Yeah, but for some reason, like it's it's a weird shift in the dynamic where you're pseudo accepted. Yes, but it's but a tokenizing kind of it's acceptance. a tokenizing yeah. kind of acceptance, which you're not upset about because it feels better than, than the other running thing. home. Yes. yes, yes. So it's this weird, you know. And by the way, going to the white school was crazy because I was broke, mm. and all the kids that I went to school with were rich. Yeah. Um, and I lived in the hood. Mm-hmm. Like I lived in the hood hood. So it was weird because it was that power dynamic as well. You know, I didn't want the black kids to know that I was gay. Yeah. I just didn't want the white kids to know that I was gay and broke. Yeah. You know, it was just a lot. It was a lot of imitation of life for me. Have you ever seen that movie? I haven't seen that movie. Um, so tell it's, me what you mean by that reference and then I will respond to Have you ever seen Imitation of Life, it's this girl who was light-skinned and she used to pass for white. Mm -hmm. And she would go home every day to this big-ass house, but really her mom worked at the house. Mm. Her mom was a maid at the house who was black, who had fathered a child with a a white man. Yes. And one day her mom shows up and says... Oh my God, you forgot your lunch pail. And the teacher goes, Who's your child? And she goes, Little Catherine is my daughter. Don't you know? And Catherine sunk in her seat because she didn't want the Anyone kids to, to know, know who she really was. Yeah. So it was that for a long time. Yeah. I w- when you were saying, like, just the word that keeps coming up on this show and just in life is mental aerobics. Cause I'm thinking of like what the, the unpacking and the undoing of being in a homophobic environment and participating in that in whatever way, whether it's laughing or whatever, but also like knowing that that's how people see you. And so like you're dealing with hearing people yeah. constantly, even if they're not saying you're a faggot, but they're like saying, Oh, faggots, faggots. And then, you're processing that. You're processing like what that means for you, uh, yeah. And try and and like the 
I was we had a, a conversation with a, an actor, Chinaza Uche, and we're talking about how black people are the best actors because of how much you have to compartmentalize and numb and shift. And I think black queer people as well, because you're doing it in black spaces, hiding yourself yes. and, and participating in this uh, abuse. You're, you're code switching. Yes. You're, yes. You're completely code switching. And then, I mean, to top it off, I went to LSU. Mm. I went to a completely brotastic fucking school. Jesus. You know, like, I mean, I, it was like, I couldn't yes. escape it. Yes. And then to go to the white people and have to, like, deal with being the only black person and whatever that means and, like, trying to hide your... I mean, I went to a, a, a boarding school and, like, everyone was rich and, like, trying to, like, live up to whatever that is and also, like, yeah. not play... I mean, I didn't know at the time, but you're you're playing into what their stereotypes yes. of you are. And yes. you're like, I don't actually know what that is. <laughs> but I'm happy I got that experience, and I'm happy for multiple reasons. One, I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't have sure. those experiences sure. throughout my life. Because being around those kids really introduced me to a life I had never seen before. Mm. You know, like, I don't think I would be privy to Los Angeles or to anything other than, like, if you don't, if you play basketball or football, that was kind of sort of the only way you went to college. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, for black people, it was sports. Yeah. That was the only way that you could really go the extra mile. And when I switched over to this white school, the first thing was, okay, in eighth grade, you need to figure out like your SAT or your ACT mm -hmm. and like where you want to go for school because we have to start this whole thing now. And it was like, but why? I'm in eighth grade and who's talking like this? And it was like, you know, I'm like, who can go to school? Just, I don't play a sport like that. Right, and it's right. like, no, 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 you can go to school. We're going to show you how. And that was really the first time I realized that there were doors to getting out of the hood. Ooh. Multiple doors mm -hmm. to getting out of the hood. Fuck. It's crazy. It is. I was also going to say, it's, 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 it's madness. <laughs> like the, the level of, of, uh, it's Olympic uh, effort. Yes, it's, it's Olympic. The it's, level it's, of it's, effort to cheat and get around and get over and get through the system that has been set up to keep you in a thing with your blackness and your queerness. I was also going to say, you know, going to the white schools and like seeing wealth and then knowing that that's not what your life is, like what that also emotionally does to you as well. Like there's just. But it woo! honestly was the greatest experience because I knew what I wanted to give my kids. And I knew at that moment. Not that my friends got everything or my friends got more than they deserve. I think a lot of them got, for how wealthy their parents were, I think a lot of my friends were pretty level-headed growing mm -hmm. up. There were those two or three kids, you know, in every class whose parents just spalled the shit out of them and didn't yeah. know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. But to be exposed to that life at such a formative age, it really showed me a different kind of life that I wanted to have. Yeah. And it kind of started my path to wanting more for myself and seeing bigger. Yes. The thing that I always went back to though, and the thing that I always was interested in was all of these kids had the means to get out of South Louisiana, but they didn't want to because, and I couldn't understand it. I was like, your parents can pay for you to go to Harvard or Yale. They're offering you to go anywhere in the country. Yes. Yet you guys all stayed home, but it's because they were comfortable. They were comfortable. Yes. I yes. wasn't comfortable. Yes, as black people, we're often uncomfortable, and that's what motivates us to go out there and do bigger and better. And there's space for both, right? There's space to hold for, you know, th this thing, th these Olympics being fuel to get you to um, live the best version of yourself and the best version of your life. And also just like... There's something also devastating about about you know little Justin having to ha even have to do any of that emotional labor of compartmentalizing and numbing and 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 feeling that rejection and one hundred so one hundred 
That's why I get so mad on my show. You know, I have an issue with, there was like this seven month to, I would say a year span when everybody was coming out as bi or fluid mm-hmm. or like, oh my God, I'm this, mm-hmm. I'm that. And I had a really big problem with an internal struggle with myself because here we were celebrating you know, Demi Lovato comes out as bi, mm-hmm. and this person come out as comes out as fluid. Week two weeks before their album comes out, <laughs> or you know, like yes. it was like you know, it was like yes. all of these things happening, yes. and I'm like, one part of me is like, let's celebrate this because these people have fans that are probably you know, there are a lot of them feeling seen and feeling like, oh, if she can come out the closet, I can come out the closet. Yeah, but then the other half of me was like. You guys, we live in Los Angeles or New York. Like, we can't like just act like little Tommy in Durham, Virginia, can walk out of his closet and put out an album or be accepted the way that yes. these celebrities are being accepted. Yes. And I'm not saying this necessarily about Demi Lovato because I truly believe that she is. Yeah. I think she has played with a lot of ladies in her <laughs> life and I'm I'm here, here for, for it. it. Support it. I'm here for it. Yes. I support it. I stand with it. But I feel like a lot of people use my struggle and our struggle as a headline. Mm. And you know what? If you kissed a girl in high school and you didn't like it, that doesn't make you buy. Okay. <laughs> that does not make you yeah, there's bisexual. A, there's a there's a uh definitely a specifically with Hollywood cuz when people reach out about, you know, struggling with their sexuality, I I understand that, but I do also see just because we're on this side of Hollywood where people in our industry will time up their coming out with a movie premiere and that's where it gets like Wait, what? Murky. What? Like, what are we doing here? Like, are you are you capitalizing off of something that is really, really painful and people are actually going through in in spaces where they won't have like, you know, the world yes. being like, yes, we love you. Like, yes. Uh, so it is a it is a something that there's a nuance to it for sure. Before I let you go, I do have one more question for you. Do you yeah. mind? Okay, so the no. question... I'm here until 3 o'clock. Ah, beautiful. My my last question for you is, if you were your own parent, what advice would you give yourself in this moment? Close your legs to marry ah! me. Get off of my show! <laughs> it's my favorite saying Ever. Ever. It's my favorite saying ever. It is an important. It is. It is important advice that has never gone out of of style or date. Close your legs to married men. I I second that. Close your legs to married men. Okay. What are we Trash gonna do vibes. without her? What are we gonna do without her? Oh, she gonna live on. She gonna. She be has fine. nine lives. She gonna be on somebody's TV screen. She's gonna be everything. Um. You know, I think my advice to myself would be to enjoy the moment. Mm. I never truly stop and just like, sometimes, you know, when I'm in the mode and I'm running fast and things are happening and blessings are coming to me left and right, like, I've been truly blessed in my life. Mm. I work for an entertainment company that is known around the world. Um, yeah. I work for the Lakers of entertainment. Come just on. Just so you know. Yeah. And I'm just oh, letting it I, I mean, know. I know. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> and like, it's, it's a job, but I truly and honestly enjoy what I do. And I think I've been running so quickly. Sure. For so long that I never get to just stop and enjoy how honestly lucky and how I beat the odds. Like, yeah, I sometimes have to remind myself, like when I'm driving into Universal right. and I'm on a set and I'm in a bad mood, I'm always like, 
look where you are. You for beat two the seconds. odds. Yeah. Um, and I need to start doing that more often because I feel like as human beings, we, and as millennials, we just think that we deserve Sure. You know, sure. what we got sure. and that people, you know what I mean? Like people want to listen to your podcast. Like people <laughs> should be wanting to listen to your podcast. Like You should want to listen, honey. <laughs> you should want to listen. And, you know, I know the day because I always think about it. Like I know how entertainment works. The fact that I've had an entertainment daily news show for the last three years nonstop is incredible. unbelievable. It's yeah. incredible. And I know the day that it ends, I'm going to be devastated. But. At this moment, I need to just enjoy the ride and not have to like I have this weird thing where you have to hustle and have six projects pending. Like, yeah. you know what? Just sit in this fucking project. It's just in this moment. Just sit in it for a minute, yo. I love that. Now it is time for BKG Learning Moments. I'm gonna sing it eventually, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get somebody to sing that for us. So we got a cute little sting. BKG learning moments. Um, I'm not a singer, as you can tell, but that's all right, honey. Uh, today, what did I learn today? I learned so much. Justin was such a blast to talk with. Um, I think let's start here. Sylvia Brown is important. She was the psychic featured on Montel's show, and she would read people for filth, <laughs> or I guess like. I can't remember if she was talking to, uh, you know, people like that have passed away or was just telling us our future. But either way, Sylvia Brown, she could read. She could read, honey. I remember that. Um, also, Justin's mother, you know, asking him, like, what are you, what are you going to do? How are you going to make this <laughs> work? And allowing him to figure it out, which, you know can sound harsh or feel harsh in the moment. I, my mother was very much the same way, but it actually, in the end, I think helped us uh, as black queer people, especially grow legs and learn how to move in spaces uh, where there is no space for us, quite frankly. Also, understanding that our parents are always doing the best that they can. And sometimes, you know, as an adult, you have to reparent yourself, right? You have to, there are things that your parents just weren't able to give because they didn't know it. They didn't know how that wasn't uh, um, a value that they were brought up in. And, and in our adulthood, we get to create new values and, and approach learning and understanding and parenting differently. Uh, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that, you know, our parents weren't good or were bad. It's just, Hopefully, every generation is getting better. Every generation is taking the information that they received and using it to expand and grow and build something greater. I also love, the, you know, Justin's advice to himself, honey, close your legs to marry man, okay? Uh, but more importantly, enjoying the moment. I over overstand, overrelate to um, the hustle, you know, always, always going, 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 going as black people, as black queer people, again, trying to create space where there is no space. Um, you sometimes get so wrapped up in the hustle that you forget to take in the accomplishments, to, to take in the, the wins uh, and how important it is. Uh, I had a friend a long time ago uh, say to me, you know, the journey is the goal. You know, it's it's not really the destination. It's it's about the journey. It's about the process. That's really important. And to even bring it back to Justin's mother saying, you know, like, what you gonna do? Like the the building of your legs, the the the, the building of your grounding and your footing uh, is actually. Um, what's of the most value and so enjoy it enjoy after all that work and all that struggle enjoy where you are and then you know you could pick up and, and get to the next level or the next goal or the next destination but but don't forget to enjoy the moment enjoy the wins 
Well, that's it for us. And I want to thank Justin Sylvester once again for joining me on the show. I love you, Justin. Please subscribe, rate, and comment on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. Also, if you want to see the video version of this interview, and I know you do because Justin and I were having a kiki, you can check it out on my YouTube page at Brandon K. Good a week from today, honey. So next week sometime. Now, if you are one of the many people who just can't wait every week for this show to drop, you can catch a sneak peek of upcoming conversations on my IGTV at Brandon K. Good or on Tom Ellis's IGTV at official Tom Ellis or honey on the black folks Instagram, which you should absolutely follow B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X, honey. Uh, and you know, we want to hear from you. So if you have a question, email blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is spelled B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And just in case you haven't heard it yet today, I love you so much. Bye. Star Bands Avenue, a podcast network.